Welcome to Michael Myers Minute, where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. Minute 52 begins with a frame or two of the Doyle House exterior, 1530 Orange Grove Avenue in Hollywood, that we saw last minute, the shape in the foreground. Then we're inside, 1533 Orange Grove. Before we get inside, though, we have a guest, Rick Ingham of Mad Max Minute. Welcome, Rick. Hi, Robert. Thank you for having me on. Now, do you want your guest questions now or later? Mm. Let's have them later. Ooh, like that. We'll buck the trend a little bit. <laughs> okay, then we start Interior Doyle House Night. Now, uh, for listeners keeping up, or people who aren't, it's about a quarter to ten at night right now in the movie, because I think it's in this minute they mention that uh, Thing from Another World is about to end. Tommy runs to answer the door and opens it, and I'll note here for listeners that have been paying attention, uh, his hood slash helmet is still on the couch, and here, if not before, we can see that he's wearing a jumpsuit, not two separate pieces, which matches the simplicity pattern 5299 that I obsessed over back in minute 41. Annie and Lindsay enter, Annie says hi, and Tommy does not seem surprised by her outfit at all. She's got no pants on. She's wearing a man's dress shirt with one button buttoned. And I get the impression this happens a lot. You imagine that Tommy sees neighbors coming across the street often like this? I think he's, he he might. I mean, Lori babysits for both the Wallaces and the Doyles, so Annie probably does. Annie probably has accidents all the time. Or she just wanders around undressed. That would explain why she was so comfortable and so quick. To raid the laundry room for something to put on. If she's constantly having these mishaps. Yeah. Well, she was right next to the hamper, but yeah. Just, oh, I got butter on me. I'm going to grab a shirt. that doesn't belong to me. And it makes sense. She's kind of forgetful and flighty. and so. You know, if only there was some sort of garment that she could have put on herself in order to protect her clothing from a <laughs> cooking situation. Lori might have the solution that we're looking for. Yes, Lori has on an apron when we see her. <laughs> As Annie goes in, and Lori is in the kitchen. They're making a jack-o'-lantern. And I find it funny that Lori is scooping out the innards of that pumpkin when Tommy was the one that was so gung-ho to carve the pumpkin initially, and now he's completely abandoned her to go watch television. Yeah. <laughs> like Lindsay shows up, he's done. Typical. That's how kids are. You know, I want to make a jack-o'-lantern. Wait, it takes work? Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to draw a picture and cut something. Yeah. yeah, so TV announcer says, and now the horrifying conclusion to the thing. So, yeah, it's about 10 o'clock when Annie comes over. All right. Now, uh, this is something that kind of stood out to me. It seems awfully soon to have the conclusion of the movie, considering that it only started seven minutes of movie time ago. Yeah. But Did we're jumping around i mean it's it's been in order despite some imdb goofs that are wrong mm -hmm. but yeah we've covered a little time annie made popcorn we didn't see all of that we just saw the end where she spilled the pop the butter she went out to the laundry room you know there's moments we missed here and there it makes me think that annie was stuck in that laundry room a lot longer than we thought or maybe she just decided to make another batch of popcorn. Do you think that the butter that she spilled on herself, do you think that was the first batch of butter? <laughs> she could, it could have been the second. They could have had it, popcorn 
It could an have. hour ago, and then an hour. Yeah, depends how much popcorn they eat. There are tens of minutes that they've seemed to have glossed over in this, but considering how well paced this movie is, I'm willing to overlook it if you are. Yeah. I, well, and they wanted to get in clips of you know two different movies mm-hmm. on the TV, show that yes, they, it's not as soon as they show up to their babysitting gigs they get attacked, and so it's it's letting us know that some time has passed. They've had time to watch an entire movie, and all of the rest of the movie will happen pretty early in that next movie. I recently watched Halloween two, which I hadn't seen in a little while, and. They specifically say there's only like 11, uh, 20 after 11, I think, at the beginning of that movie. So hmm. the rest of this movie happens pretty fast. Yeah. Second 23, Lori sees Annie's outfit and calls it fancy. Annie explains everything she's gone through tonight with spilling the butter on her clothes, getting stuck in a window. And then we talk about Ben Tramer. I find it remarkable that there are so many side characters mentioned in this movie that we just never see. Oh, yeah. Even this, it's like Ben Tramer's like the one we remember, but he went drinking beer with Mike Godfrey, she says. Like, it's a specific name, specific person that Ben is out with. We don't know that person. On the one hand, you could argue that it makes the world feel a little bit more lived in, a little bit more comfortable. Like, this is how friends speak. They use people's names in this way. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, you hear someone's full name like that, you expect them to play into a narrative a little bit like this yeah i mean ben tramer is important but he's not he's we don't see him not until halloween 2 mike godfrey never matters maybe he's the guy we see in halloween 2 but they don't identify him i almost feel bad for the person watching this movie trying to feverishly take notes to keep track (laughs) of everybody yeah if you don't have the script handy it's like who who who's he (laughs) drinking with all right, Mike Ben Tramer. Something. Ben Tramer. Where's Ben Tramer? Who's this Mike Godfrey guy? Yeah. Do I need to know him? Where's his, What's he look like? <laughs> exactly. And now she says, uh, drinking beer with Mike Godfrey, and he won't be back until late. You'll have to call him tomorrow. Now, this is a regular problem in this movie that they keep treating Halloween like it's Friday night and like the weekend is coming and they're going to have to call people and do all this stuff. In 1978, Halloween was a Tuesday. Oh, so we've got a bit of a Street Fighter situation. (laughs) For you, the day that Michael Myers came to your village, it was the most important day of your life. But for him, it was a Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah. They, they, they get around this problem. I know in the, in the new Halloween, they, they specify that they have school the next day. And I'm like, good. Someone paid attention this time. But yeah, 1978, Halloween was Tuesday. They would have had school the next day. But they Mm -hmm. keep talking about the homecoming dance and learning cheers. And now they're going to have to call people. And they don't have to call anyone. They're going to see Ben Tramer at school. He goes to the same school they do. That's why she knows him. One thing's for sure, it's pretty gutsy of Ben and Mike to go out drinking on a school night. Yeah. Because if they're planning to party at all, it's going to make getting up in the morning rather tricky. Well, spoilers, it doesn't end well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't imagine the Wednesday after this particular day is a regular one. No. And I've realized recently that they treat this town as like, I've complained that because they filmed in South Pasadena and Hollywood, there's too many curbs. It doesn't feel like a rural town. Mm -hmm. But it isn't a rural town. It's a suburb of Chicago. It's actually not supposed to be that small. It's just... They play it that way, and it 
it's a weird thing that they play up even more in the sequels where it feels like a small town when it's actually right outside Chicago and isn't that small a thing. But yeah, he's he's going to party all night, maybe get to school. Maybe they will have to call him because he'll miss school. Mm. He's, he's going to be hungover, so you're going to have to call him in the afternoon when he wakes up. Well, I never knew this was a suburb of Chicago, so maybe they won't see him in school because he'll call in sick. And then he'll grab his friend, he'll sign his girlfriend out, and they'll go on a little bit of a joyride. Go into the city, spend some time, <laughs> have some fun, do a sort of day off situation. Well, the the suburb of Chicago thing is, it's actually a weird point even for me, because uh, Haddonfield, in Halloween 2, they basically put it in Warren County, which doesn't make any sense. In the new movie, they put it in Warren County, which doesn't make any sense. It's supposed to be 150 miles from Smith's Grove, which is in Warren County. Mm-hmm. In one of the movies, I still have not figured out which. I know I have it in my notes. I don't remember where I got it. It's in Livingston County, which is right outside Chicago. It's like it's not in the same county as the city of Chicago, but it's really close. I mean, I live in L.A., so I think of things in the next county as suburbs because we're all connected. Right. So it's close. Or it's a little farther south. I don't know. In this movie, they don't specify other than it's 150 miles from Smith's Grove, which we know is in Warren County. Mm -hmm. The police costumes don't say Warren County in this one because they didn't spend the money for nice enough costumes that said things. <laughs> I'll complain about that more when I get to Halloween 2 next year. Uh, there'll be plenty of time for that. Exactly. And Annie is going to leave to pick up Paul, which another person we don't see mm-hmm. in the movie. We hear him, and it's John Carpenter, but we don't see him. Lori figures out she's being left with Lindsay, and Annie considers talking to Ben Tramer in the morning. He's going to be hungover, but he might be, assuming he's alive, she could talk to him, assuming she's alive. That's a lot of assumption. I know, you know, cross your fingers. I think Annie can make it this time. I've seen the movie a lot of times, but I think she's going to make it this time. You know, it's just that one of those things, you got to be persistent, you got to keep trying. If there's anything that michael myers embodies it's the idea of persistence so why not annie too right and she is i argued with the the popcorn thing and the butter that she is practical as well you know she spilled butter and immediately she makes an effort to clean her clothes she not only does the laundry before that she puts cornstarch on the stain which i didn't know was a thing i had to look it up Hmm. i didn't even know she pulled out cornstarch i have assumed for 40 years ish that she pulled out like flavoring for the popcorn but the box she pulls out is cornstarch Okay. Like, she's making an effort to clean that stain. I'm like, that makes sense. She's a working class girl in a small town in Illinois. She doesn't want to ruin her clothes. Good for her. Of course, she's also sneaking out to go see her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Practical, but also a little sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. It's the 70s. It's It makes sense. It was a different world back then. Not only is Annie going to sneak away to retrieve Paul, Mm -hmm. but the fact that she's using Lindsay as a bit of a bargaining chip. She's using a child (laughs) as a trade good. Listen, you watch Lindsay, and I will do this favor for you tomorrow. (laughs) And I got such a kick out of that. Oh, yeah. Now, if I was Lori, I'd say, okay, I will watch Lindsay. I also want a cut of your babysitting money, because you don't babysit for free. 
No. If you're good at something, you never do it for free. <laughs> That's why I've always been convinced that I'm not good at podcasting. <laughs> but either way, I still appreciate that Annie has placed Lori in a situation where Annie wants to have a bit of responsibility lifted. And there's also the situation that is going to develop where... Oh, what's the third girl's name? She's not Linda. in this minute, which is why I don't remember her name. Linda. Linda and her boyfriend are coming over to the house anyway. So having Lindsay as far away from that house as possible would be advantageous. Oh, yeah. As Lori says, not in this minute, the girl scout strikes again. Yep. Uh, well, the conversation with Annie and Lindsay last minute, especially in the novelization, suggests Lindsay knows boyfriends are coming over and sex is going to happen. <laughs> I think she just sits and watches her scary movies and ignores everything else in the house as much as she can. So this is a this is the ideal situation for Lindsay. Absolutely. I get to go hang out with another kid and watch the movie in peace. And I appreciate how Lori remembers that Ben was grounded and Annie says he was. And I'm like, no, he still technically is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then she mentions old Jerko found a way to sneak out. And it's like, well, technically he doesn't have to leave at all. We, His parents aren't home. Well, right. He's not even sneaking out. Yeah. He's they just could just leaving. stay there. <laughs> Instead of him having to go anywhere or him having to or him having to be brought somewhere by her, she could just go over to his house. Lindsay's taken care of. She's completely free at this point. Based on some dialogue from Linda later, and she says, this is going nowhere. I assume that some weird things were going to go on where the two couples were together or were trading partners. And so she needs Paul back at the house when, where where Linda and uh, Bob are going to be. Mm. It could also be that maybe Annie still has some of that pot that she was smoking with Lori earlier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they want to. Yeah, she wants to smoke. And then, yeah, they maybe. They, OK, maybe it isn't an orgy or. You know, swingers from the 70s. Zay, you sound so disappointed that they'd get high instead of having an orgy. They could do both. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not be restrictive here. Yeah, they can get high and have an orgy. That's that's acceptable. <laughs> I sound disappointed. <laughs> I love that she calls her boyfriend old Jerko. Mm -hmm. She called him that earlier, too. It's not just this one line. She says it twice. It's an interesting pet name. I've heard worse. I've been called worse. Yeah. But it's still an interesting pet name. I had... I should... Okay. I had a girlfriend who called me shithead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is... That is amazing. <laughs> And it was supposed to be endearing. I'm like, uh, no, I don't appreciate this nickname. Are you sure she wasn't pronouncing it wrong and she <laughs> meant to say Shadid? <laughs> uh, no, I'm pretty sure it was Shadid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? What you did behind closed doors, that's all you. All your own. <laughs> I won't pester to or pry too much into that. I've never really been one for nicknames myself, actually. I don't call people by nicknames. I've allowed myself to pick up a nickname. People 
at the place that I work at, some of them know me by the name of Houston because they always call me when they have a problem. <laughs> I'm the troubleshooter nice. where I work, so. That's a good one. Like I said, I've been called a lot worse. I'll take <laughs> what I can get. So, old Jerko found a way to sneak out. Listen, I'll call you in it. And we're already at the end of the minute. It's a quick little exchange that she has here. Yeah. It's really just Annie popping over to get rid of Lindsay as fast as she can. And Lori actually holds her up with all of this Ben Tramer talk. Right. Which, if it's weird in terms of production, the scene of them driving where they're talking about Ben Tramer at sunset was added late in the production because the movie was too short without <laughs> that conversation. This Ben Tramer stuff would be weird. Like, I don't know how that came up. Yeah. You really need to know the context of why Lori wants Annie to call Ben Tramer and solve this situation that she's been put into. Maybe there was a one line of dialogue in an earlier scene that then got replaced by an entire sequence of driving. I don't know. I haven't seen that cup, that version yeah, of the script. You needed that driving sequence to lay the foundation to build the Ben Tramer foundation on which the cabin of, Oh, Hey, Lori, I called Ben for you. Cabin can be built. So that way Lori can come and be like, Hey, I need you to bulldoze all that away. Yeah. Good things come in threes. <laughs> Carpenter knows that. Yeah, he's good with structure and putting that together. So I'll call you in a in a what? We don't know. It ends mid-sentence. Lori is and we are left hanging. Mm -hmm. But before we go, you're going to have to put up with guest questions at some point. Oh, yeah. I'm ready for them now. Okay. Question one, have you ever murdered anyone, or do you plan to? I really shouldn't have to think about that all that hard. <laughs> I'm going to say no. Okay. That I've never murdered anyone before. That's good. Now, I can't say that I haven't inadvertently set off a Rube Goldberg-style murder situation a la Final Destination. I don't know. I could have been <laughs> I thought you had one down in the mind. road and <laughs> thrown out a piece of gum, and that piece of gum could have missed the waistband and stuck on the bottom of someone's shoe, and then 17 steps down the road, someone's head is getting lopped off by a, uh, let's say, the lifeless carcass of a goat. <laughs> if we're going to get creative with it, let's yeah. get creative with it. Yeah, make it weird. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I've, uh, I could... Uh, I can't say that I could ever feasibly murder someone of my own premeditated volition just because it just seems like a puzzle that is too complicated and time-consuming for me to solve. And I know that sounds like a terrible thing in or out of context that the only thing that keeps me from murder is the amount of legwork involved. It's interesting that's how it was with Sean and Dave last week, too. Yeah. It's like, you have to deal with the body, you gotta worry about not getting caught. Now, that being said, if I've learned anything from listening to any number of murder mystery podcasts, you know, true crime, things like that. Yeah. Apparently, if you're not discovered in the first 48 hours, you stand a really good chance 
of getting away with it. Especially yeah. if you can cover your tracks up by more or less making sure that fingers are pointed at someone else. Yeah. I guess I've always thought that if I got into a situation where, well, I don't know, maybe it was like a phone booth situation where I was told, oh, you have to murder someone in this time frame or something bad's going to happen. Be like, okay, well, you know, find a drifter, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But even so, it, there are just so many variables that concern me. And that's the major roadblock as far as I'm concerned. Aside from the general morality of all life being precious or right, something like that, right. yeah, I don't, I don't I, think I could ever murder anyone per se. I think I could kill someone if it came down to it, like if I had to. Oh well, yeah, for killing sure. is different than murder. Oh yeah, big difference. But I mean, like, I could get things done if I needed to. Like if if I found myself in a situation where it was me or someone else, right. I could probably do it, but the thing that I've been doing over the course of my life is I've been trying to actively practice empathy. I've been trying to reach outside myself just to prevent myself from being a sociopath, <laughs> you know, trying to empathize with other people's human experience, see other people as fully realized individuals yeah. and not just stranger faces you know trying to be a good person in that regard i feel like that would be a major barrier to any sort of murder activity that i'd want to do but killing that's a corner that i'd have to probably fight my way out of if i got backed into it which that just might be my conservative upbringing what can i say <laughs> i may have a liberal adulthood but i had a very conservative upbringing Same. so I think that says, I think that's common for most people. Now, question two is broader. I'm just curious. What's your history with Halloween? I will admit, I had seen bits and pieces of Halloween, but the first time I ever sat down and purposely watched this movie from beginning to end was yesterday. <laughs> wow. So it's I have just been, the first one. I have been very well aware of the series. Okay. Over my lifetime, seeing different iterations come out. And I've always been aware of them and seen them and been familiar with the iconography and the zeitgeist information about them. But as far as sitting down and actually saying, okay, I am going to consume this media and I am not going to just play it in the background. I'm going to Pay attention, like a good movie viewer. Yeah. First time was yesterday. And how was it? I was actually surprised at how much Michael Myers was in this movie. I expected sort of a Jaws situation <laughs> where he was going to be present, but not as visual. And I guess that might go back to the fact that you're dealing with a man in a costume and not a mechanical shark. Right. But I was not disappointed by how often... I was seeing him. I think the only thing that really confused me is his lack of motivation. And I think, based on what I've heard of other movies in the series, that they go into great depths to explain his motivations in this first movie. Some would say to the detriment of the series. Yes, some would. 
But I think his mysterious motives, the reasons why he's stealing cars, going to Haddonfield, killing this specific group of teenagers, if anything, it just adds to the menace of the story, and I think that's absolutely fine. Nice. Yeah. If there was one thing that disappointed me the most, though, yeah, it's how ineffective Loomis is. That's part of the structure. He, Yeah, he's really disappointing, and you know what? If Loomis was capable, this movie would, would have been over a lot sooner, Yes, and with a lot less killing. Which, honestly, in a horror movie, who wants that? Right. No one wants that. He he is more effective in like the fourth one. Mm-hmm. He's effective in the second one, but the plot purposely draws him away from the action for half the movie. He he gets pulled away by a marshal who wants to remove him from the situation. Mm. But in the fourth and the fifth, he's very active and more thing. In this first one, he's like. As I've said in earlier minutes, he's like the Cassandra figure. He's just there to tell everyone something bad is going to happen and you're not ready. That he also happens to be the one at the end who shoots Michael is, you know, luck. The common theme of slasher films in general, though Halloween comes sort of before them, Mm -hmm. is that adults are essentially ineffective. You have to deal with stuff yourself. Which is fair. And so you have a bunch of teenagers playing it being adults they're going out and babysitting they're going out and having sex they're going out and doing drugs they have to deal with their problems themselves or die or both right it's it's a sink or sim it's a sink or swim situation you want to play at it well now let's see how you handle adult consequences that that's why the you've only seen this one but the new one erases all of them but the first one Mm. It ignores all the continuity. I think the second one is a necessary element because Lori needs to be the one who kills Michael in the way this story is structured. She becomes the important central figure who fights back. And then Loomis jumps in and shoots him. But at the end of the Halloween 2, she's the one who shoots him Hmm. the last time. She's the one who blinds him so that he's there when the room explodes. Now, speaking of Lori doing the killing... There was a video that came out on YouTube very recently. Have you heard of Film Theory? I don't think so. So, on YouTube, there's a channel called Film Theory. It's run by this guy named Matt Pat. And he did a little video about how to kill Michael Myers. It's very on topic for this podcast. And considering your recording and release schedule, it should still be a bit topical. But... I'll spoil it for people that don't want to sit through the video. Matt Pat looks at Michael Myers and he says, okay, with how quickly Michael is able to bounce back from injury, he must have some sort of inhuman healing factor. And he likened it to Wolverine, but nothing quite so fanciful. And he said, the thing that you've got to do is get rid of the cells in Michael's body that allow him to heal. Those stem-based cells that come from your bone marrow. And so he said, if you can lure Michael Myers to a hospital and put him in a radiation dosage room (laughs) and turn up the dosage as high as it'll go, you can kill all of those stem cells in his bone marrow and then kill him with radiation. And hopefully you won't turn him into an Incredible Hulk. Yeah, 
in in Hollywood, we're just gonna get a super Michael Myers from that, right? But I I like that. We already had a super serial killer in the Jason X movie. Oh, right. I don't think we need to take Halloween in that direction. Well, Jason gets you know little nanobots or whatever he had, and Michael gets radiation. <laughs> I like it. It's a good. It's just different enough to work. Yeah, it's a method that I don't think I've ever seen executed before in a Holly in a Hollywood horror movie. No, although I will admit. I don't run out and see all the Hollywood horror movies, oh, so it could have been used them. in the past. I'm not sure. <laughs> now, question three. Who wore the white mask best, Iron Bar or Michael Myers? I know that I'm on your home turf uh-huh. and that you have a specific favorite <laughs> that, you don't know what my that you favorite want is. me to side with. <laughs> However... I'd have to go with my boy Iron Bar because Iron Bar is special. <laughs> he has the ability to bounce back from he death, does. very similar to Michael Myers, but he also doesn't actually wear the mask on his right. face. He has it attached to his body. Now, we've been kicking around ideas over here on the Mad Max Minute, and this is just a bit of a taste of what you can expect if your listeners go over here and join us, but we've succeeded. But we have suspected that Iron Bar's mask, which is not so much a kabuki mask, it's more of a no mask from that style of Japanese theater. But we have suspected that it is a cursed object from a Japanese god of the ocean, tricks and storms and things like that. (laughs) Which is why Iron Bar is able to survive explosions and drowning and falls and all of this other situation that this mask is keeping him alive. And because he's wearing it attached to his person instead of on his face, he's able to retain a lot of his personality and ability to function. get possessed by it, yeah. Exactly. It's not a Stanley Ipkiss situation (laughs) where the mask is taking him over. Neither is it a Michael Myers situation where the mask has erased his identity or has assumed or superseded his identity. He's still Iron Bar, and he still has the benefit of the mask without having that mask completely erase who he is. So (laughs) I'm going to have to go with the guy from my movie instead. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm (laughs) I'm picturing now Michael Myers walking around with a mask sticking off the back of his like shoulders up above his head and that'd be kind of freaky <laughs> it would because he is already so tall yeah. one of the reasons that iron bar in beyond thunderdome works so well is because he is only five foot right. four he can have something extending up above his head because he'll still be within that six foot range for doorways and vehicles and things like that michael myers is a giant of a man well in this first one i think he's only like six around six foot six foot one or two i forget how tall nick castle is but he's one of the shorter ones his presence feels a lot larger i'll tell you that much they shoot him from below a lot or they shoot him from far away and so he seems like a tall lanky guy who make him taller with a mask up on top with the hair hanging off (laughs) of it like that what is up with that dude and as freaky as the painted Shatner mask is, having this six foot two guy dressed in a jumpsuit with the very soft featured no mask from Mad Max Beyond <laughs> Thunderdome 
it would just be so unsettling because it would be shining in the darkness, a white face floating through the air, and then suddenly you realize, oh, wait, there's also a psychopath underneath it. Although listeners are probably thinking right now of the Michael Myers mask from Halloween 4, and a lot of people don't like it because it has less <laughs> feature to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I like that sort of thing. I know um, what's called Return to Horror High. Maybe you haven't seen it. It's a horror film from the 80s. The killer has a mask like that that barely has any features at all. It's just white. And it's freaky when you see it in a dark space. Mm-hmm. Up close, not as scary because it has no personality. But when you see it in the dark, that's scary. So yeah, I see Iron Bar coming at me in the dark. I'm going to run. One thing's for sure, you'd hear him a lot sooner than you'd see him, because Iron Bar is a screamer, <laughs> whereas Michael Myers will walk after you in a silent manner, breathing heavily, I will grant you yeah. that, but if Iron Bar's coming after you, he's got that primal scream to him, <laughs> he'll rush you, and he'll try and take you out as fast as possible. Yes. Any other notes for minute 52? I just want to say that Annie might be my favorite of the three teenagers, huh. and I'm very sad to know what happens. I think it's very unfortunate. It's kind of weird slowing the movie down. I like Linda more than I ever did before. Yeah? And I am i haven't figured out why yet. She just she seems more wholesome, despite the fact she's the one we see have sex. Like, there's just <laughs> something very nice about her. Yeah. When I slow it down like minute by minute and like separate out the scenes. So I just love how much time we get to spend with Annie and how many different facets of her personality oh, yeah. we get to see. Yeah. We see her dealing with being a babysitter, dealing with Lori, dealing with Paul, dealing with being stuck mm-hmm. in a window. And next minute <laughs> or next couple of minutes, we're gonna see how she deals with well, spoilers, dying. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that is all. For Minute 52, Rick, how may the listeners stalk you? (laughs) Well, if any listeners are looking to stalk me, good luck, because I'm out in the wasteland of the Mad Max apocalypse, where you can go to madmaxminute.com. We are breaking down the Mad Max movies one minute at a time, as the name would imply. We have gone through the original from 1979. We've gone through Road Warrior. We've more or less pushed our way through most of Beyond Thunderdome, and in 2019, we're going to be talking about Fury Road. So you can find us on our website there. We're also on Twitter by searching at Mad Max Minute. We're on Facebook. You can search the same thing, and you'll be able to find our listener page, which is Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. And Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. You can stalk me on Twitter and Facebook at Myers Minute or Instagram, Michael Myers Minute. Or join our Facebook listeners group, 45 Lampkin Lane. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave a nice review if you like what you hear. And if you really like what you hear, or you think you could still use some uh, you know, monetary support to make the microphones better, you can help me out by joining the Thorn Cult and donating through Patreon at patreon.com slash Minute. Until next time. See you later. Bye. Bye. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? <laughs>